What is up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. We've got a very special sponsor to lead us off. We got Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your baseball betting needs this season as it is officially opening day. Get analysis of every play, prop, and points at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds, bracket contests, team matchups, and game trends at Bet Online as a whole. Uh, Bet Online is your baseball, basketball, uh, football headquarters this season. Head to our website today and use our mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use your promo code, uh, believe, to receive your bonus pay. Bet a line where the game starts. Now to the Bruin Bible. What is up and welcome back to the Bruin Bible. We had to wait an extra couple of days just to make sure I got my man hundred grand to my right, Mr. Jamal Madney in the house. We want to make sure we do this one together. We've got a really fun one on the horizon for you guys. We're going to be ranking as spring ball is officially wrapped up for UCLA. Our individual top five players that raise their stock the most. And it may not be, you know, the Liatu Latus or, you know, the, the guaranteed starters. It may be guys that were, you know, on the bench last season and maybe taking that step up. Maybe it's a starter that can really elevate his status to, you know, being an all-conference player. Uh, but before I get into the, the the details of that, Madman, how the hell are you doing on this fine Saturday, man? Brother, so great to see you. It's Saturday. We were just talking a little bit offline. You know, this is the first Saturday in, in so many weeks where there isn't UCLA practice. And, you know, you and I grabbing our, our coffees in Westwood and getting out there. You know, it's such a great ritual. And then, following it up with a great meal at, at Barney's and hanging out in Westwood Village, talking basketball, all that great stuff. So definitely miss you today, my man, because, uh, you know, didn't have that. But then obviously, concurrently, we're also, for our viewers out there, we're in a um, we're in a speaking strike. You know, it's sort of a Gandhian speaking strike over the next 10 days, given uh, the, the Lakers and the Warriors uh, series. And obviously, Will being a diehard Warriors fan and me being diehard Lakers. So that's also been been uh not you know it, it's been very uh sort of non-traditional in that sense you know we drop a couple of texts here and there during the game and then it's it's silence you know it's the dark period as they say in the aerospace proposal world so we're waving our white flags for the people <laughs> in this podcast because we have to make sure we get some good stuff out but i mean it is uh it is a very crazy time in the sports world and it's fun to be talking about that Speaking of crazy times, you went on Friday to the open practice, my man. Uh, what did you see on the final day? Did any of your opinions change? Did anything come out that you hadn't seen up to that point? Because we've been continually going all throughout spring camp. I was not able to attend the final week of practice. I've read some reports. I've read some things. What did you see with your own two eyes out there uh, You know, at the Wasserman football complex? Well, you know, it was a, it was a really interesting final practice because – you know, obviously UCLA not having a traditional spring game along the lines of many other teams, you know, you're really sort of locking in in some different areas. And having said that, Chip, for the last half hour, 35 minutes of practice, 
really set up different situational football. And so it was sort of rep over rep. Okay, ball at the 45-yard line, 22 seconds to go, one timeout, you got to get the field goal. Or ball at the 30-yard line, no timeouts, 11 seconds, you know, got to get the field goal. Or, you know, 17-yard line, third and goal, you have two plays, you got to get the touchdown. So very interesting kind of sequence of events over the last 35 minutes of practice where he really put together, I would say, between 15 and 20 different sort of situational reps. And a couple of things really stood out there. One was the vast majority of those reps went to Garbers and Moore. Uh, there was a couple there with, with, with Martin and Schley, but very clearly this was sort of a little bit of an evaluation of how these guys would do in more of a situational style. And I think what was really evident here, Will, is that Garbers, I think you and I both agree, has the greatest command of this offense. And that sort of reveals itself in seven-on-seven, 11-on-11 drills, the different sort of schemes that, you know, Chip has in practice of, you know, go here, go there um, and whatnot in these sort of structured settings. However, in that situational style over the, over that 35 minute period where it is also about understanding the playbook, but you have to go make a play and your instincts and your poise has to sort of shine. Dante Moore clearly separated himself in that sequence. And so it was pretty obvious that when it's sort of instinctively as a playmaker in terms of individual skill, I would rate Dante more higher than Ethan Garbers even right now. And I think going into summer, the question really is going to be, will Dante Moore get enough of this playbook absorbed where it becomes innate, where it becomes intuitive, where he's not thinking about it. And it's going to be that rate of absorption, if you will, that is ultimately going to determine who the starting quarterback is going to be. If Chip feels that that absorption rate is not as high, it's not as intuitive, I think Garbers is going to be the starter in the fall. If Moore really makes a jump in terms of adopting the playbook, I have a hard time believing Garbers is going to be able to fight him off in terms of being able to remain the, the starter moving forward. So that was sort of the one big takeaway. Second big takeaway, Will, is – this team has everything that it needs to compete for a Pac-12 championship with one glaring weakness right now moving forward, and that is at the offensive line. And over the course of the last practice here, Will, repeatedly we saw situations where either it was false starts, the line was jittery, or they were just kind of getting overpowered in 7-on-7, seven 11-on-11 seven, 11 11 drills where the quarterbacks had either very little time or they had to sort of go to their first read as a result of a collapsing pocket. There was one play in particular, Will, a spectacular throw uh, by Moore to Kyle Ford. And Kyle Ford laid out and dove and made an absolutely spectacular catch. And the whole team sort of came around to Kyle Ford and was, you know, celebrating him. And it was really maybe the greatest single play that we saw over the last several weeks in practice, just in terms of like a sports center top 10 type of play. But what was lost even on that play is even in that situation, they had to double Latu off the edge. And so even in practice, it was a situation where hat on hat, it, it was very much of a challenge for the offensive line. And Holstige was there. DiGiorgio was there. And, you know, obviously they're, they're not 100%. They were sort of working their way back. But, you know, now we got the addition of Wiley from Colorado 
But having said that, I still think there's some room here. And so I think this team right now does not look like a championship Pac-12 offensive line. If, if we're being completely honest with ourselves, this is a mediocre offensive line in a Pac-12 at best. And I think that there's some ways to go. So really excited about the spring, you know, concluding. And now this sort of summer workout and regiment, how to get these offensive linemen either a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and technique-wise, a little bit more center of gravity and base focused uh, to be more sizable moving forward. And then I think, Will, the third takeaway is that Sturdivant and Ford have clearly sort of lapped the field from a wide receiver perspective. I think those two guys are going to be uh, wide receivers one and two. But every time I see Yankoff on the field, Will, he just is very impressive. And I think that so much conversation, obviously Carson Steele has gotten so much of the offseason hype, given he is the leading r returning rusher in NCAA football. He was ninth last year. The top eight rushers all declared for the draft. He is the returning guy. But when you just look rep over rep, man, Yankoff looks really good. And for my money right now, and I know this can be sort of a controversial statement, I think Yankoff is in a prime position to be RB2 moving forward um, in terms of this depth chart. Obviously, TJ Harden has things locked up as, as RB1. So those were kind of the big three takeaways uh, from this last practice. Yeah, and just all great points uh, being made. Offensive line, you know, we got to add Kadir Kauna too. So we're going to have yes. two guys coming in to the fall, which I think are going to be very big helps. You know, Duke Clemens is great. I'm confident in Holstige. DiGiorgio, you know, I think he's a solid, you know, Pac-12 starter. You know, I think that's his ceiling. He's he's very solid at what he does, and I think he'll only get better in year two as a starter. It's just we're just one or two guys away, and I think Kauna – and Wiley can be one of those two that, you know, takes us over the top. We just need a B minus from that group, maybe even yes. a C plus, you know, just to make sure that we are getting enough time for the quarterback and the run plays to develop. Uh, so that is an issue. It comes to the offense too, you know, more definitely the higher ceiling. Like we've, we've been saying it from the jump, there's throws and, you know, arm angles and just ball placement that he can do that just not your average quarterback can do. But the number one thing I want out of my quarterback is to run the offense. You know what I mean? Like run it in an efficient way, you know, and Garbers, we've seen, we've seen this. I was ready the first day to put Colin Schley over Ethan Garbers. If you just look at the drills, I don't care about arm strength. I don't care about any of that. Can you move the football? You know what I mean? And for right now, I think that's Garbers. Hey, Dante Moore is going to be there in summer ball. He's going to be learning the playbook left and right. He's going to be studying with Chip. He's going to be maybe developing with Jordan Palmer, one of these crazy quarterback coaches in the summer, too, to only get better. And I think it's really going to be similar to that Michigan, you know, kind of look that they had a couple of years ago where McCarthy was waiting in the wings, who, you know, Mel Kuyper put as a late first round draft pick coming into this year. He's a five star talent, you know, very credible source from the, the quarterback position. But Kate McNamara, he was the leader. He's the guy that they rallied around. He, he knew the offense the best. And I know it's tough because in this era, it feels like you have to choose which quarterback. This is going to be Chip's arguably toughest decision in his tenure at UCLA on who's going to be the guy going out there because I know for a fact the team loves Ethan Garbers as well. You look at how the players respond to him, what he brings to the table leadership-wise. He's been there. He's formed relationships with these guys. It's going to be really fun to watch. And I'm whoever Chip ends up deciding I think will be the right choice. But, man, I, I, I was telling people, and if people didn't believe me, you're going to have to rip this away from Garbers 
because this man, his career is really on the line here. You know, I think for college football, and I, I'm just so impressed and proud with how he responded because that is everything you want to see from a guy being tested and throwing his name out there. So all great points from practice. Madman, I think we got to get to the draft, man. I think it's time to pick our top five players that ranked and, you know, came away from spring ball with their stock highly impressed. It was, you know, it was Steve Jobs, you know, with Apple. It, it spiked downward when he left, and then he came back and he revived it. I want to see some of these stocks come into UCLA football. As always, I'm going to let you start, man. Who is the number one guy that you saw in spring ball that you go, man, this guy completely has improved. He's taken a step forward in these spring practices. He's going to be a real contributor come the fall. So, Will, you know, we talked a lot about the wide receiver room and I think Sturdivant for you, you can sort of slice this a number of different ways. I think Sturdivant is even better than, than we expected, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, sp spring practice and whatnot and in terms of what he was able to do. And I think that there is a very special third wide receiver here that My I think a lot of people hey. don't really understand yet. And he's going to make a big name for himself in the season. You're going to have Sturdivant as your deep guy. You're going to have Ford as your possession guy. And then there's going to be moments. And I don't, what I saw in spring, Will, it wasn't Cam Brown that stood out to me necessarily. It wasn't TMA that stood out to me necessarily. It wasn't Logan Loya that stood out to me necessarily. There was one guy and he made some huge plays yesterday again, where you were, you were sort of scratching your head and saying, this guy is going to be a stud, not just potentially this year, but for many years to come. And that's Braden Pagan. And he's going to be the guy for me. If, if I were to pick number one, who's the guy who's made the biggest jump coming into a spring practice towards the end, it's Pagan. And when you look at his size, his ability to separate and just the hands, he made a couple of, you know, spectacular catches in practice yesterday again. And I think right now, if you were to end camp here and now and say, who's wide receiver one, two, and three, I think it would go Sturdivant, Ford, and then Pagan. And, and I think that's a really, that's an incredible spring that he's been able to put together. I just love what he brings. And I think that he fits really nicely in the things that Chip wants to do. I really see Chip this year as going back to more of a traditional offense for him. The last couple of years was very much bunched near the line of scrimmage, very tight end oriented. And I find it very interesting that this is the first year he really has true depth at wide receiver in terms of playmakers. And we saw less of the tight ends over the course of practice here, Will, over the last several weeks. There's more of an emphasis on the wide receivers. Pagan, to me, is just going to be a star in the making as wide receiver three moving forward. So he's my number one pick. Is up, Bruin Bible listeners. We have another advertisement for you. We are so lucky to be sponsored by the great people at Athletic Greens. Uh, I started taking Athletic Greens specifically because I was lacking energy, lacking focus throughout the day, and needed some special pick-me-up ingredients to make things happen in my life. Athletic Greens has done just that. I've become absolutely addicted to the process. It has over 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, adaptogens to make your life easier uh, by doing this during the day. I like to take it to start my mornings off. I like to do it before a workout. It makes you feel energized, focused, and just have a lot more energy throughout the day than I typically expected. 
right now is the it's the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. Uh, that's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Uh, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to be give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LAFB. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LAFB to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens, a game changer when it comes to your health and your focus and your mindset. Yeah, and he was a man among boys out there, six foot four, 195 pound wide outs. And the speed is it's not like a big bodied wide receiver, kind of like Ford, where he's quick, but I wouldn't necessarily yeah. categorize him as fast compared to what the receiver position is. Braden Pagan is one of the fastest receivers we have at six foot four, 195 pounds. And don't even get me started on the hands. This guy was routinely making one handed catches in the drills, making plays. And, you know, I went back and looked at this guy's recruiting profile, and it's just it blows my mind that this guy was only a three-star prospect of that size and speed caliber. You know, he had some Ivy league offers, a couple power five ones. Utah was probably his best offer outside of UCLA and, you know, wasn't checked out by any of the like major schools on the West coast outside of UCLA. So, I mean, this is a steal. And I just knowing what Dante Moore is going to be bringing to the future, knowing that Braden Pagan's probably got two more years in the fold there for UCLA. If everything goes well, this is going to be more to Pagan is going to be something that we're going to be hearing a lot of in UCLA, uh, you know, lore for years to come. So I'm really, really pumped at Braden Pagan. You actually stole one of my picks. So hats off to that, my man. But Braden Pagan, phenomenal first pick, madman. I was routinely impressed with him. Practice in, practice out from what we saw in spring ball. My first pick, and it's a guy that people know. Um, he was a transfer in, but. I, I'm going with Olafemi Oladejo, and I know mm. a big name and, you know, 91 tackles. I saw that and, you know, the, what he brought to the table for Cal last year. But the two things that really jumped off to me was the size. The size at six foot three, 250 pounds. He looks every part of that. You know, sometimes you can see a size and you go, that's, you know, this guy's a 5'11". He's not six foot two. That's like a raise in size. This guy looks six foot three, 250, all of it just pure muscle out there in the football field, rangy. And he was, you know, I, I, he was one of the vocal leaders on the defense from day one. He was making plays, blowing up, you know, offensive segments from the offense for UCLA. You know, we knew about the 17 tackles against UCLA last year and the 91 tackles total. But having that high of ceiling for a player at six foot three, 250, knowing that he probably is only going to get better under the tutelage of Ken Norton Jr., I had Olafemi Lodejo being a solid starter. I think by the time he leaves, knowing that he has the coaching and the talent to succeed, I he might be the best linebacker on the West Coast, like west of Texas this year in college football. So, like, I was not expecting that from Olafemi Lodejo. And I think that, for me, puts him as my first selection in the draft just because his ceiling is so high and what he can do out in the football field, how fast he is at six foot three, 250, playing sideline to sideline. He can rush the passer. He can play pass coverage at 250. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. What do you think about Oladejo as the number one pick? I love it. I love it. Well, Oladejo was actually my second, you know, so yeah. if, if it wasn't going to be Oladejo on your end, I was going to bring up, you know, him in this regard. What's special about him, and it sort of revealed itself again on Friday, is you mentioned the 6'3", 250, the size, the speed. 
you know, just sort of this this athletic freakishness that he has. Obviously, DK Metcalf has been at practice the last couple of weeks. Just wa- seeing him sort of line up next to just on the sideline, stand next to DK Metcalf, who by all indications is one of the great physical specimen in all of sports. And he sort of held his own physically, just, you know, in terms of lining up. Zach Charbonnet was at practice uh, yesterday, and he made Charbonnet look small. I mean, it, it was it was ridiculous in terms of the type of specimen he is. There are a couple of moments where he really stands out, and where he really stands out is on kind of secondary pressures. And so when, you know, he'll drop back into coverage, and when he knows that the quarterback, he's got a great instinct for when the quarterback is either on his second read going to his third or his third read going to his fourth. And when he sort of senses that, his straight line speed to the quarterback is really staggering. Moasau is your more traditional inside backer who's going to have a nose to the ball once a running back or a receiver gets a touch and closes on in that regard. Latu is your traditional, you know, straight line pass rusher. You know, Oladijo has this ability to be able to read the defense, read the situation of the quarterback, understand, okay, he's on plan C or plan D at this point. Now is the time as a secondary pressure to go close. And the way he's able to close, Will, it's absolutely staggering. I mean, athletically, I completely agree with you. He's probably the most athletic player on UCLA's front seven and on their entire defensive side of the ball. And we're going to be expecting huge things from him. I think he has the ability to be UCLA's most valuable defensive player this year, considering that they're the runner, the runner up of Pac-12 defensive player of the year is coming back. So couldn't agree with you more. It's that secondary pressure where he really stands out and just the steps. It's almost like the NBA equivalent of Giannis, you know, Giannis and three and a half steps can go from half court to the rim with these long gazelle like steps. Oladijo is like that. He just takes up so much ground with each step. You know, in three or four steps, he's he's gone from seven yards beyond the line of scrimmage to five yards, you know, in a lost position to get to the quarterback. He can make up 12 yards in three steps. I mean, it's really staggering with Oladijo. Very excited about him moving forward. Yeah, I think he's a front runner for Bruce Feldman's freak list for this next yes. year. I think he's going to be on that list. And, you know, I – it's not like I didn't think this guy was going to be good because I think a lot of this list is who raised their stock the most. You picked Pagan who has yet to really catch a ball for UCLA at all, you know, in an actual game. Oladejo, I just thought the gap between being a solid starter to like maybe being like a day two, day three draft pick, if everything goes right. I think that jump was so big for me personally that I had to put him on this list. So that was the number one pick. You're on pick number two, man. Where are you going and why? So thriller, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on pick three here because Oladijo was my pick two. Um, the three is, and I, you know we've mentioned this a lot. Heart, I can't not mention it and have this person right sort of in the heart of the draft, and that's Yankov. I mean, just yeah. the the absolute just body transformation. Will I mean from day one was staggering. He's he's leaner. He is you know meaner. I mean, it just it's unbelievable in terms of the way he's cut. So many people were talking about Carson Steele just being this sort of animal in the weight room, which he is, and he's an absolute specimen. You watch Yankov, you know, stand next to Steele. I mean, it is a shred for shred, you know, you know, Mr. America type of a situation over here. You know, put some spandex on these guys and have them, you know, walk across the runway as underwear models. I mean, it's insane, the body transformation with Yankov. And I just love his versatility. 
You know, he, he still has those between the tackle instincts that you've seen, but now he has a lot more confidence, much in the way kind of Charbonnet style was, I'm going to start inside the box. And then once I get to that second level of the defense, I'm going to use my feet to get to the outside rather than traditionally try and get to the edge right away or set the edge right away. And Yankoff is just showing that he, he has this ability in that secondary part of the defense to go from inside the box to then beyond the hash marks with his feet. You've talked about the word burst so much with Yankoff. I think that's just such an appropriate term to use for him. So he's, he's maintained the power, but now I think as he's transformed, his body has been able to get the burst. And I think in terms of just comfort as a receiver, you know, it's sort of him and Harden, uh, you know, and, and, you know, so many uh, running back drills were taking place over the last couple of weeks, particularly on the sideline guys, you know, catching balls that were really high or balls that were low and behind them and making sure that they had one or two feet in the two guys that just looked most comfortable catching the ball far and away from any other running back was Harden and Yankov. I mean, even Steele has to sort of stop. Sometimes you can see there's a little bit of a hesitation from that time with Yankov. It's just so smooth. It's so seamless. And so whether it's running between the tackle, bouncing it to the outside, catching it out of the backfield, blocking, being in kind of a hybrid bunch formation like Chip used them last year as sort of a, even a pseudo tight end fullback. There's just so many different ways you can get him on the field. I just think that Yankoff went from a guy who we were kind of talking about as the Darko Milicic of this team as like the human cigar, you know, for UCLA football to a guy that I really believe in terms of gap closing, when the fall starts, I think Yankov is going to be RB2 on this team, which is an incredible sort of statement to make considering where he was on the depth chart at the end of last season. Completely. And, you know, I just want to take people through his journey of football. We've had such a great transfer from Washington and law to it's easy to forget that Yankov was a four-star quarterback coming out of Idaho, went to Washington uh, Chris Peterson left. He eventually transferred down to UCLA and they just kind of moved him all around. And, you know, they, they put him at receiver. They put him at running back. He was an H back for a little bit. And now you're kind of seeing him find his spot. And, you know, I think it's something it's so great to see somebody whose total identity has probably shifted within the college football landscape. When you're the four-star quarterback, you're the big man on campus. So now you're a backup that, you know, didn't really see playing time at all until four years on, you know, playing on a football field to now arguably being running back to in a Chip Kelly offense where, you know, we, maybe one of the greatest running minds we've seen in the history of the sport. So Colson Yank, I just want to tip my cap to Yank off because it takes a stronger man than a lot of other people to do what he's done and, you know, ride the different positional changes and find his path and stay at the same place at the same time. Because you ask any college football kid today, if it's not working out in one place, they're going to transfer to another one. And if it doesn't work out there, they're going to transfer to another one after that. So Colson Yankov, much respect, man. He's going to have a big, big 2023 for UCLA. So we got three guys in, and I think you're going to like this pick. It's a guy that we've gotten pretty familiar with in spring ball. We talked to his dad, you know, almost every practice we were there. And you're taking mine. We're on the same page. <laughs> it's Alex Johnson, man. And yeah. He earned every bit of this position, you know, being on this list in a lot of ways. There's something to be said about people that are always punctual in life, you know, being 15 minutes early for a job interview, being 15 minutes early for a date, whatever it may be. Alex Johnson on a football field 
is always in the right place at the right time. And God forbid if he ever gets burned, he has underrated top-level speed that I don't think a lot of people know about. Like, this guy's a legit low 4-4 guy on the football field. And just time and time again, he was tested by, you know, the barrage of quarterbacks we have in that quarterback room in the 7-on-7s and 11-on-11s, whether it was Garbers, Moore, Justin Martin, Schley, you know, even Chase Griffin got a couple reps in there. And it always seemed like Johnson was the most consistent performer in the defensive back group, being that slot corner for UCLA. You know, shout out to Alex's dad. He's a great dude. We would talk to him, you know, mostly like throughout the entire practice. It was just always good to hear his perspectives on what was moving forward for UCLA. But Alex Johnson, man, like he has been here the entire Chip Kelly era. You know, I don't think people know this is his sixth year in the UCLA football program. And I think this is the year he's going to pop. I think he's going to be very, very credible in the defensive back room. And I think he's right there neck and neck with Davies on who I feel most confident about in performing and throwing out there in one-on-one matchups. What do you think about Alex Johnson being that pick? I, I love it, Will. And that was that was going to be my number four guy. So it's great. You know, great minds think alike or, or fools seldom differ, as my father would say. But, you know, we're, we're in it together here, brother. I completely agree with you. And even on Friday – you know, what's so fascinating, Will, is nobody has been able to cover Sturdivant all spring. I mean, it, not even sort of within two yards of, of him. I mean, it's been it's sort of been ridiculous just the separation that Sturdivant has gotten basically on every rep for the last six weeks until Friday. And Alex Johnson was the only guy over the last six weeks that was able to make life difficult for J. Michael Sturdivant. And there were a couple of plays. There was an outside route, an out route that Sturdivant was running. Johnson broke it up. There was another situation where it was a ball in the flat. Johnson, from his slot position, came and closed. Another position where, again, with Sturdivant, he was sort of battling, forced and incomplete. I just love his – he's long, you know, and it's one of those things where he's long and he's fast, and he's sort of in a place right now where you can see the technique is really building. I think he has been someone, Alex Johnson, because he's so physically gifted in terms of speed, in terms of length, that sometimes you just overly rely on that because other guys are not equipped to sort of handle those two dimensions of athleticism. I think he's taking that next step now to say, okay, that third dimension has to be my technique, my focus on my craft. And I really love what Alex Johnson has done this spring. And I think he's going to make a huge jump because truth be told, Will, I'm not seeing a lot of separation in the secondary. I think you and I have been waiting for Kirkwood to sort of take that room over and just be that guy. And he's had moments. He's had flashes. There was a a practice, obviously, where he had a couple of picks. He's also kind of gotten burnt a little bit. You know, it's been up and down. But I don't know if there's truly a definitive DB1 right now in the room. I think there's a bunch of guys that are playing really hard, really well, competing extremely strongly but I think Alex Johnson has every bit the opportunity to be one of the top two DBs in this room and make his way all the way to starter uh, for, for opening day. I think, I think the, that room is that wide open, and I think Alex Johnson is that physically gifted. And now it seems like his mind is right in terms of just focusing on ball and having his technique in front of him. And I know it's something that his dad is very excited about. It continues to sort of emphasize and what I love about, you know, the Johnson family as well, Will, and we have to mention this, Alex now, his master's degree in, in master's in organizational leadership at UCLA. He's classmates with Chase Griffin. 
So you know he's just a, such a well-rounded kid from a great family and really excited to see what Alex Johnson can do. But I think the combination of Johnson kind of taking that next step along with no one really separating in that secondary room, I think is creating a massive opportunity here. Yeah, and it's a thrilling, thrilling thing to see Alex Johnson come up. A walk-on, too, which I don't think a lot of people remember. So, Johnson, I I, I am stoked on him, and I think he's going to have a massive, massive 2023 for UCLA. Give me your next pick, my man. I'm interested to see where we go from this point in the draft. Yeah, brother, I think, you know, it's interesting here because I think there's, there's a couple of different ways to go with this. Um, obviously there's questions about the offensive line. I don't think necessarily a tight end really made a step. And I think there's, there's sort of, I think that's kind of symptomatic of chip. I think just that receiver room being so deep, there's, it's about eight deep. This is the best that he's had. We've talked about Yanko. We've talked about steel. I think Atkins is going to be a very strong RB four in goal line situations, third and one, fourth and one. I think he's going to be a specialist back there. We've talked a lot about obviously the, the more Garber situation. I think Justin Martin and Schley have shown flashes. And I think there's kind of a clear hierarchy there. We've talked a lot, you know, about the linebackers and the stars. We've talked about the secondary. The guy to me, Will, who's making that next jump from really good player to bona fide star. And I know this is one of your guys as well. Is oh, no. Yeah, I know you're going to support. It's Toya. Yep. And, yep. you know, when you look at you look at the way he is just eating up space even yesterday, and the way he's sort of shedding those interior offensive linemen and constantly generating pressure in the backfield and stuffing those runs at the point of attack. And, you know, it's at the point where you have to have a guy and a half on him. And I think that he's lost a little bit of weight, which has allowed him to sort of get that first step, really that burst. I think with Toya, he was always a great run stopper. He always had great instincts, but sometimes off the line, off the ball, it was a little slower than it could have been. You can tell he's been in the weight room. You can tell he's been doing a lot of cardio because his stamina and just his ability to get that first step, that, that explosive burst, it's just different this year. And I think he's going to be the anchor of that interior defensive line when you've got the Latus and you've got the Murphy twins really focused on pass rush and, and, and whatnot. Toya being that anchor to sort of clog up the middle, but also find a way in certain situations to get to the quarterback, I think is going to be the real game changer to get these offenses behind schedule and behind the chain. So for me, Jay Toya has really taken a big jump. Yeah, no, he was one of my picks. And, you know, I had him picked as kind of the most underrated guy when we did our, you know, most underrated players going into the 2023 season. He was the guy that I came out as number one. And we saw that jump. In camp, we we saw the the bowl game. Ten total tackles against Pittsburgh, generated a lot of pressures. Did some great things in that game, and throughout spring practice, the D line kind of is the centerpiece in disruption for any offensive play. It starts with them, and then the rest of the defense follows, if you will. Toya was consistently double teamed throughout spring ball and was still making a difference, which is a scary thing. He's a six foot three. 325-pound specialist in the defensive tackle spot. I just think with him and a guy that just nearly missed my list, Keanu Williams, yep. the Oregon transfer being there, this is the best interior we've had under Chip with these two talents. You know, Keanu Williams, a four-star guy. Toya, a four-star guy. And it's showing. These guys are eating it alive. 
Keanu Williams, you know, tipped some passes at the line of scrimmage to force interceptions, you know, was blowing up some of these offensive line plays. And, you know, Toy's doing it against arguably the two best linemen for the majority of camp, whether it's Duke Clemens, a guy that's been a multi-year starter in the Pac-12 at center, and Spencer Holstein. I mean, they had their hands full with this guy. So it's not like he was going against a depleted area of the line. He was going up against the two bona fide studs, I would I would argue, for the UCLA line, and he was still balling out. So Jay Toya, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal pick. That was going to be my third pick. So we got Toya. Great minds think alike, Madman. Um, my pick, and it's a guy that we've talked about a lot, and we have very, very high hopes for. However, I think when Carson Steele transferred in, we were kind of like, okay, Carson Steele, RB1, Harden, RB2. Harden can maybe come in later. TJ Harden, for me, is RB1 without question. And I just was not expecting that jump to be so quick. We had tagged him as the next professional running back from the Deshaun Foster crew, you know, from whether it be Joshua Kelly to Demetri Felton, Britton Brown, and our guy Charbonnet. And, you know, TJ Harden just – how fast, how quick he is to get into those breaks and get to the outside is impressive. This guy averaged 7.4 yards a carry last year. I mean, that is that is nearly a first town every time he touches the ball. Last two games, 23 carries, 200 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, that's almost nine yards a carry in its own right, That what he was doing there. So we saw how he finished the year. We saw how he's approached in spring ball. And I'm ready to make a, a big, big proclamation. I think... He's going to be second team all Pac-12 as a sophomore, only behind the running back from Oregon. I think his name is Bucky uh, something, but he, Bucky, whatever his name is. But Bucky I, I just leap and dent. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. For our Red Sox fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just believe Harden to be that guy. And uh, he just took a step forward that only strengthens my feeling of this guy's going to be a pro. Like I have no doubts in my mind. Uh, and just one more thing before I send it over to you. It's always been Deshaun Foster has just been developing well-rounded running backs. Like Charbonnet, before he got to UCLA, had caught 14 balls in two years. Charbonnet was a big-bodied back. You don't necessarily think of him as a pass catcher. He got 61 passes his last two years on campus. And you see what he did with Dermetric Felton, who caught 55 balls in a singular year for UCLA. It's the receiving game that separates some of these running backs in this room that make them elite. And Harden, I'm struggling to find a hole in his game right now because he is so well-rounded at such a young age. Give me your thoughts on TJ Harden because I know he's. we expect him to be great, but I thought with Steele coming in, we thought he might be a little bit behind him a little bit. I think he's clear in a way RB number one. No, I, I completely agree with you, Will. And Harden is the first guy in this Deshaun Foster era of, of and lineage of running backs that is most like Deshaun Foster. And and so when you talk about his style of play, you know, where he sort of holds the ball placement is upright. His running style is upright. He just, he's so smooth, always falling forward. The first guy's always going to miss for some reason because not necessarily because he's bulldozing guys over, but he's just so technically sound in terms of posture, ball placement, balance, center of gravity that the first guy is always just going to sort of shed off of him. And then he's got, he's just so smooth, Will. You know, very few running backs are as confident vertically as they are laterally. You know, most guys are, you know, what are you trained? It's one cut and go, right? Find the one seam, put your cleats in the ground, and then explode. 
it's that next level where you're just as comfortable vertically as you are horizontally that really separates prospects to be kind of that next level of great player and potentially get to the NFL. And Harden is that, you know, whether you, you know, whether he's got a sort of sidestep with his feet initially in the run or whether he does it after a couple of steps, he's just so comfortable. It's almost like a game of hopscotch out there sometimes with him where it's, you know, he's just so comfortable with either foot and either direction that it just opens up this incredible versatility. And he's just so smooth. He's almost the prototypical chip running back in terms of size, speed, you know, situation, and then just overall just stylistic play as a running back. And then, of course, the element that, you know, you bring to the table, love the stats about Charbonnet and Felton is the receiving out of the backfield. And what we've seen in spring ball is just how comfortable he is. And and you and I have sort of talked about this where some guys have to completely turn their body around and face the quarterback completely to be able to make a reception. Harden, on the other hand, only turns his body to sort of the side like a receiver because he's already sort of thinking about that first foot in terms of a yards after catch situation to make it a bigger play. Now, he's still got his eyes on the ball, so he's still tactically doing exactly the right thing, but he's just so comfortable with his body that he kind of treats himself more as a natural receiver out of the backfield than just a running back who happens to catch balls out of the backfield. So you put all of that together, absolutely. Harden... I think in terms of biggest jump, not just in terms of spring, Will, but think about the last 10 months. The first time we saw Harden on the field was in the season opener last year when, or, or the third game, I should say, last year when Charbonnet, you know, had a seat against, you know, we were playing an FCS opponent and we saw Harden in the fourth quarter. It was a little bit of a rainy game. He had that sweep to the left for a touchdown and everyone in the press box was like, who is this kid? This kid is so smooth. And at that point, he was probably seventh or eighth on the depth chart at running back. And now here we are, 10 months later, going from a guy who's seventh on the depth chart to being far and away RB1. So when you talk about that body of work, I mean, absolutely staggering. It's going to be a huge year for Harden. I expect him to cross 1,000 yards this year. And really, I think you're spot on that he's going to really make a run for all-conference, one of these teams' all-conference uh, given how it's going to play out. And you basically alluded to it. He always makes the first guy miss somehow. I'm going to quote from Deshaun Foster, a tweet that he posted in spring ball. Running backs, if you are elite, yeah. and only if you are elite, you will make the first man miss no matter what. So coming from our guy, Deshaun Foster, I've gotten through all my players that I've listed. Um, Thriller, in the words left? of in the words of Anchorman, right? You know, sixty five percent of the time you got to make the first guy miss a hundred percent of the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is what TJ Harden does, which is just so exciting to watch, man. I'm I'm pumped for a full year of TJ Harden at the helm in the running back room. Do you have any other guys left on the list, Matt? Thriller, those are my five as well. You know, we went through it. I think I got through five and then you were still at three because there was, there was so much overlap. So I, I'm really excited about where these guys are making the jump. And I think one guy will kind of the wild card of, of someone who I think made a significant jump in the spring was DeAnton Lynn. And when yeah. you just look at the practice, you look at the level of energy you look at the level of aggressiveness and tenacity, you look at the pace, you look at the attitude, it feels like a very different defensive culture this year 
than in the last four or five years under Chip with McGovern and Azanero. There is a youthfulness, there is a vibrancy, there's an energy, and there's a feeling of competition at every position right now. It really kind of reminds me of, I think Ken Norton Jr. has brought some Pete Carroll-ish philosophies over where you got to compete for every position. And I think DeAnton Lynn has really taken that to the next level. And so I, I'm really excited about how this defense is going to perform this year because I think coach and player are more related and relatable than they've ever been in the, in the Kelly era. And I think that's going to translate into some resounding success. All the pieces are there, Will, on the defensive side. I mean, we've talked about guys who are elite at the, the interior line, uh, as in terms of pass rush, we've talked about linebacker guys who are elite in terms of linebacker. We've talked about guys who are athletes in the secondary. I mean, all of the pieces are there for this team to really hold up defensively against the most elite of quarterbacks that the Pac-12 has really ever seen this year. So it's just a matter of now DeAnton Lynn and Kenny Norton Jr. sort of putting the right guys in the right situation, shoring up their rotations, but it's all there for the taking, and I think it's really exciting. Yeah, a couple guys that almost made the list. I referenced Keanu Williams earlier. I really liked what I saw from Kamari Ramsey. I think yeah. he looks really good at safety. And I think with a full, you know, fall practice with him, uh, I think he's going to be the starting strong safety next to Jordan Anderson from Bowling Green, the transfer there that made some plays. And the guy that unfortunately got injured that I was very high on, TMA, looked yeah. amazing the first two practices. It was good to see him out there at the end. But those first two practices, he was he was not on the level of Sturgevin or Ford, but he looked like the third best receiver those days. So tough for him to miss the spring ball. But those were some of the other guys we we're leaning towards. Madman, any parting thoughts before we cap this Bruin Bible and spring ball itself? Well, you know, Will, it's it's hard to believe now that we're already in May, and the first game is a little over a hundred days away. We're probably at about 118 days now. So I think it's going to be really exciting to see how some of these guys now with the sample that they have received from these last six weeks, how do they take it to the next level? Obviously we all eyes are on the quarterback situation and what that pecking order is going to look like. I think in terms of the defensive back room now, I think everyone's kind of seen what they can do. How can they take it to the next level? I think who's going to be sort of emerging as true wide receiver three, because I think Sturdivant and Ford have really separated. So who's going to really sort of approach that? And then who's going to come in for that backup running back spot? And then I think overall, the offensive line, how do we get a little bit more girth on these guys? Because one of the things, Will, I think that I'm going to be really looking for over the next 90 days is a lot of our linemen, 6'4", 6'5", but they're 275, 270. You know, they're a little skinny in the hips. I was telling the, Alex Johnson's dad and I were having a conversation about this yesterday. They're really skinny in the hips. And so that base becomes higher than you want it to be. And that's where, why they're getting sort of blown off the ball. So I'm really looking for that regiment, you know, with, uh, with Timmy D here about how to sort of, you know, get these guys kind of lower center of gravity, lower technique. What are they going to do in the diet from a diet situation? What are they going to do in the weight room for each of these guys to maybe put on five to seven pounds here to get a little bit more girth? So that's the, the, the real area. Because if the, like you said, Will, we, and we've said it, you know, this team is just in a position from an offensive line standpoint to be able to open up the holes in the running game through that zone concept and just hold up enough in pass coverage and pass protection 
you know, the, the sky is the limit for this offense. And this team is going to be right there with the USC's and the two Oregon schools and the Washington's for a Pac-12 championship berth. It's time to believe UCLA fans and what we can achieve in 2023, our last year in the pack. Make sure you guys are liking and subscribing to the UCLA LAFB channel. Big things coming your guys' way all off season. We're going to have a, a slew of guests, maybe some current and former players coming on. So stay tuned for that. Um, and thank you guys for listening as always. Uh, Bruin Bible, we are officially 